In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who comes in order to bring us the good news of the wedding feast, and how we have a place to dine at. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, today is the last day of uh, this sermon series that we're doing where we're going through Jesus's uh, parables in this section of Matthew, sort of um, uh, piece by piece by piece, as we take a look at following Jesus's stories as he tells them and looking into them for a little bit more detail, a little bit, uh, a little bit more understanding of what Jesus was telling when he was telling these stories. And so uh, as we, we look at this final parable that we're looking at from Jesus for, for this sermon series, uh, we, we have to recognize that this is actually the third in a series of parables that Jesus has been telling about uh, what it is like to be a part of the kingdom of God and what might be coming up. Because at this point, what has happened is Jesus has just gotten off of his donkey on, on Palm Sunday. He's just ridden into Jerusalem for the, the final time. After this, he's going to be taken away. He's going to, be, um, a, he's going to go through this, this court scene, and, and then finally he's going to be crucified, and he's going to be entombed, and then he's going to raise again on the third day. And, and so what he's doing here is he's telling this last parable in this series of three parables, which started off with the parable of the two sons. Uh, and, and so the first one was, was this parable of the two sons, which we took a look at that and we said, okay, the parable of the two sons is all about uh, repenting. It's all about being able to change our minds. It's all about being able to think through, okay, this is, is what it is to follow God, is to be able to recognize where maybe we have gone wrong and, and look to God and say, Lord, we've done wrong. We want to do better. And, and then after that, we, we get to the next parable, which was the parable of the wicked tenants. And, and as we looked at that parable, we, we saw that kind of the big message behind that parable was that uh, there's all sorts of terrible things that we do to one another and we do, do to God. And we even sometimes think of God as being dead, but God is fully alive and he's sending us messengers time and time again. And what we have here in this third and final parable that we have from Jesus in this section is sort of a, a combination of, of those things. And, and that's what we're going to see today as we, we take a look at this final parable, this parable of the wedding feast. And so we're going to get started here um, as, as we jump into uh, to 22.1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And, and so you, you, you start to, to get a sense of what's happening here, that there, there is this king there is this guy who, he, he owns a lot of land. He has a lot of power. He, he is the king. And his son is going to have a wedding feast. His son is going to have this momentous occasion in his life. And he wants everybody to be a part of this. He wants all of the A-listers to be there. He wants everybody to be, be there. He, he wants the camera crews. He wants everybody around. And so he sends his, his servants out in order to make these invitations. And yet... Nobody comes, nobody RSVPs, nobody does what they're supposed to do. 
And so again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And so the king here now is like, well, maybe they didn't get the idea that if they show up, that this is actually going to be really good food. I don't know how many of you have been to a wedding reception recently, but good food is normally not what you have at a wedding reception. I spent a lot of my life, uh, while, while I was at seminary, I worked my way through seminary being a, a caterer, and we had some decent food, but I don't know that I would call it good food. Uh, a lot of times we, we go to these wedding feasts, and, and okay, it's another rubber chicken dinner. It, it's, you know, some, some soggy green beans. Uh, and, and so this guy is like, no, for real, like, this is going to be good stuff. You should come. And yet the response that he gets is they pay no attention and they went off, one to his farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. And, and, and so, you know, the, the first couple you're like, oh, okay, well, they, they had stuff to do. You know, the one guy's a farmer, he has to go to his farm. The one guy's a businessman, he goes to his business. Uh, the other people, we, we start going, well, that escalated pretty quickly. Uh, you know, uh, all of a sudden, uh, the servants are now being traded, treated shamefully and killed. Uh, and uh, you go, uh, wow, that's for just delivering the news that you're invited to a wedding. It, it seems a, a, a little bit out of sorts. And, and I think that's what Jesus is trying to do here. I think Jesus is trying to say you know, the, the response that we have a lot of times to God's word coming into our lives seems like it's very extreme. A lot of times the, the response that, that we have to God's word is, is an extreme response where, where we go, don't you dare tell me what to do with my life. And, and God's just kind of saying, well, I, you know, I, I was just kind of telling you what's wise here, but we, we take it maybe a little bit too extreme. And so uh, then the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed their murderers and burned their city. And and so God comes and and he is just as extreme here. The king ends up saying, okay, I'm going to send troops. I'm going to burn your city. You're not going to be able to come to the wedding feast anymore. You've shunned me and I've sent so many people to you. And yet, constantly what you've done is you've said that you're too busy. Or you've even treated the people that I'm bringing into your life shamefully. And, and that, that's a moment in which, you know, Jesus here is talking to the rulers of the religious understanding of his day. He's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to the scribes, he's talking to the chief elders and uh, chief priests and elders. And, and what he's doing here is, is he's sort of uh, isolating them, just as he has in, the, in those other parables. He's, he's isolating them and he's saying, look, this is how you treated the people who, who came before me. This is how you treated the prophets. This is how you treated the people who tried to bring you the news of what God was wanting to do in your world, but because... You didn't want to do those things because you, you wanted to be more of your own God and you wanted to be um, less of a follower of the true God. Then what you did was you either ignored him or, or you even went further. 
And as you were going further, you, you, you ended up killing people and putting them to death. And uh, they, there's a sense here of, of uh, what time period Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the time period in which people have to repent. And here, it's an interesting moment because at this moment in the parable, we start to understand that there's something different about this parable. The other two parables in this collection of three, they've all been about basically things that have happened before Jesus has come on the scene. But here Jesus is mentioning something that, that seems to ring a little bit eerily of foreshadowing. Because what we know is going to happen after Jesus dies on the cross is that after Jesus dies on the cross, that, that Jerusalem is going to burn, that the temple is going to be brought down, that the Romans are going to take that city and they're going to destroy it. And so there's an element here to which Jesus is maybe even speaking prophetically to the chief rulers of the religion in Israel and saying, there is coming a moment, there is coming a time where it will be your final opportunity to repent. And that time is going to be coming up. In, in this way that we see happening next in, in the parable. And so the parable goes on here. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore. Now, uh, you, you've got that go, therefore. Now, if you've been in a Christian church for very long, uh, you, you maybe recognize uh, that, that connection of those two words. Jesus uses those two words later on in Matthew. In Matthew 28, when he's commissioning his disciples, he says, Go, therefore, into all the earth, baptizing and teaching people to be my disciples. And so when Jesus says, go, therefore, we, we pick up a little bit and we go, oh, OK, I think I kind of get what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, says, go, therefore. And so when the king is talking to his servants and saying, go, therefore, there's a connection that we can make there that here this go, therefore, is about his disciples going into all of the world. And what is are his disciples going to do as they go into all of the world? Well, this is what they're going to do. Those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both the good and the bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, that's great news for us. Because uh, what happens here is, is that the disciples aren't looking for A-listers. They're, they're not looking for Pharisees. They're not looking for people that have all of their righteousness together. They're not looking for people that you know, act a certain way. They're not looking for people that pray in a certain way. They're not looking for people that do certain things. But rather, they are looking for people that will take the invitation seriously. And at that point... It doesn't matter if you're bad or if you're good. It just matters that you understand that the invitation is something that has value to it. And that's where we are as Christian people. As Christian people, it doesn't matter if we're bad or if we're good. Certainly, we want to be good because good is good and bad is bad. 
But it's not like Jesus' invitation is limited to us just in those times that we're good. Or Jesus' invitation is just excluding us in those times when we're bad. But rather, Jesus' invitation is there for us, bad or good, as long as we can identify the value that's there. That value is something that's important in this story. That value reminds me of a certain New Year's Eve where um, I, I, I paid probably the highest cover that I have ever paid to get into any place. Uh, this, this cover was uh, ridiculous. It, it was a couple hundred bucks. And, um, and, and you go, why did you pay a couple hundred dollars worth of cover fees? Um, uh, I, I wasn't in like some fancy um, bar in, in, you know, uh, on Miami Beach, but I was in St. Louis. But it was, it, it was New Year's. And this cover got me into this place where all of a sudden anything in this place I could have without cost. Anything. I mean, the, the highest bottle on their top shelf in their bar, you, you could get it. In, in fact, that's how I spent a little bit of my time was hanging out with this guy who was teaching everybody at the bar, hey, uh, you need to try this, you need to try that. And, and it was an all-access cover. It, it was something that, that got us everything that we needed, everything that we wanted Everything that we could even dream of. And that was just a little picture of what this wedding feast is supposed to be with Jesus. That this wedding feast that is happening, this wedding feast in this parable, this is the resurrection. This is this thing where we go, that is what Jesus paid for. Because God requires a cover. He requires a covering for us because we know that we're bad. We're not always good. And yet, God sends his son to pay for us. But there's a problem. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless which I take it to mean that he was, uh, 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 what do I say? Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And here we, we have this, this moment of kind of Jesus tur- turning things around on it. He, he's saying, look, there's, there's somebody who is not going to be worthy of the value. And it's this person who, who doesn't have a wedding garment. Now, in those days, it was pretty common if, if you were a king, if you were, you know, somebody in the position of this person who is in Jesus's story, you would have provided wedding garments for the people that were going to be attending your soiree. You you not only would have provided the fattened calf and the oxen and uh, the wine and everything else, but you actually would have said, here's your tuxedo, here's your formal gown, here's everything that you need. But this person decides that there's not value. 
in that. And we don't know why. We just know that this person has refused the wedding garment. Because the wedding garment has been given to everyone, whether good or bad. This person has decided that they don't need it. Martin Luther, in, in one of his sermons on, on this text, he, he actually says that he thinks that there's something to the fact that what the king says to his servants is to bind that man with his hands and his feet. And, and Luther says that, that oftentimes we get confused our own works. And we think our own works, the stuff that we can do, we think that that's more valuable than the stuff that Jesus brings to us. We, we sort of bristle at the idea that, that the kingdom of God is there for the good and the bad because we think that we're good because of the stuff that we do. But rather, the king here is saying, no, if you're re- refusing my wedding garment because of the stuff that you can do with your hands and your feet, then you're still refusing my wedding garment. And by refusing my wedding garment, you're refusing your place in this kingdom. And so Jesus is telling a story here that has everything to do with what it means for us to believe in him even today. As people who have been called to be his disciples by his other disciples, that that train of discipleship starts in Matthew 28 when he says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them and that you have been baptized and that you have been taught. That means that you are a disciple now. And because of that, you recognize that there has been given to you a wedding garment. And Jesus is just dropping a warning right there. He's dropping this warning saying, look, you can do a lot of good stuff. And you should do a lot of good stuff because good stuff is good and bad stuff is bad. But don't get your good stuff confused with how good God is. Don't get your good stuff confused with how good it is to have a Savior who died on a cross for you. Don't get your good stuff confused with how good it is that you get to be a disciple despite all of your sins. Don't get your good stuff confused with the true goodness of Christ's kingdom. Because you've been invited to a great wedding feast that there's no way you could get into without a great cover. But you have a great cover. And his name is Jesus. So may you this week do good stuff because it's good. May you refuse bad stuff because it's bad. But may you always recognize the value in the invitation that you've been given be a disciple and a part of the kingdom of God. Amen.